Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate pit, joined by my brother, Jeremy J. N. Fiend Phoenix. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, anyplace. Get at your boys. to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Metz. Today, we are continuing our opponent preview series. We are getting really close to the beginning of the season, which means we are going to be going back to two episodes a week pretty soon here. But for now, we still have to finish up these opponent previews. We are almost all the way through the entire season. Up next is talking about the Texas Tech Raiders. And of course, that means I'm bringing on the one and only, I'll be sure, of the, uh, 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 oh my gosh, I am blanking horribly here. I'll be... Seriously, oh, tortillas and takes, duh. I mean, seriously, what a horrible intro. I feel really bad, but that's what happens when you do, you know, one-take podcasting. So, Albie, how you doing today, man? Doing fantastic. Um, I will say we're recording this on Zoom, and I look fantastic on Zoom. My God, like, uh, my skin is glowing, you know what I mean? Like, it's a uh, uh, shout-out to the Logitech camera that I have. Like, <laughs> I, and I'm feeling and looking good. Thanks for having me on, Andy. Yeah, you know, I was on your podcast a couple weeks back and figured I was going to have you on here because you're the guy that we talk to when it comes to Texas Tech football. You know, a little bit of a kindred spirit in terms of having to deal with a lot of not-so-great performances from Texas Tech in the not-too-distant not, uh, past. So, um, But look, today, obviously, a lot of things are different for Texas Tech this year um, coming off of, you know, a... I, I mean, the only way you can describe it is a disappointing year last year where Matt Wells ended up getting fired. Um, how how has the the mood around Lubbock changed? And, like, what are your impressions so far of Joey McGuire as the head coach? So it's funny that you said last year was a disappointing year. Last year was, like, three seasons into one. 
right? Like you had the first start of the season, which was nothing but disappointment. Um, and then you, know, you start off with disappointment after getting blown out by two teams you shouldn't have had no business in losing to, which was Texas and TCU. And then you have the middle period of like, God, get this guy out of here, which is which culminated in that loss to K-State. And then you have the end period, which was like, oh, Band of Brothers banding together to beat Mike Leach, right? Like it was, it was basically three seasons into one. Like that last piece where we were like, ah, oh, good job, good effort. You only barely lost Oklahoma State. Good job, good effort. You hit a game when you feel good to Iowa. Like then it was just happy, just all good vibes, right? We weren't going to lose, we booze, good vibes. Um, off season was, was pretty interesting. I mean, it started off with the hiring of Joey McGuire. Um, Joey wasn't our first choice. I don't, I don't care what people, people, uh, fans like to lie. Joey was not. Fan base's first choice was not administration's first choice. Wasn't fan base's or administration's second choice. Uh, but sometimes the guy that you deserve and you need isn't the guy you first want, right? People have plans for you and months. Now we're, we're virtually, what, eight months down the line now? Now, Joey, we can't imagine life without Joey McGuire. Like, this is, he's been absolutely fantastic. At one point, the 2023 recruiting class was the number one class in the nation. Um, it's settled down now. It's not number one. It's not even top 10. But it is still on track to be the greatest recruiting class in Texas Tech history. Um, and not, and then the, the buzz around the program is there. We've got a lot of money infused in a, a brand new um, facilities around the football program, a, a north end zone re, uh, uh, full reconstruction that's going to be done. That's going to be pretty exciting. Um, and then each player starting now is going to be paid $25,000 a year uh, for every scholarship player and including some of the uh, preferred walk-ons. So it is, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's an exciting time to be a Red Raider, uh, but I think we're going to talk about this on the episode. There, it's definitely, it's obvious that administration and is not necessarily planning for 2022. They are planning for 2024, 2025, and when the new Big 12 is formed, to that is what they're planning for now. They're making those steps right now to plan two, three years in advance. As far as 2022 is concerned, oh, we're kind of just kicking that <laughs> kicking that ball down the road. Well, I mean, and and, and yeah, it's will continue. Right, I mean, it's been a very football. it's been a very eventful last few years and you can you can make an argument that the Matt Wells hire was one of those attempts to try to get stuff turned around quickly to try to look at now because um, you know, looking at what he did, he was I think a lot of more of a finished product as a coach is kind of the expectation that he'd be able to elevate Texas Tech to the next level, and it just didn't work out. Joey McGuire is most definitely not a, you know, finished product, like a guy that has done it before and is up here and ready to go. He is he is the the very epitome of, you know, a an up-and-coming coach, a guy that you think can grow into the position, that can develop really well and bring all that excitement and get you moving forward. I think it's fair to say that, you know, Joey McGuire, I, I think he's going to be a great coach for Tech. I think he's going to do a great job there. I do think it's going to take a little bit of time and you're kind of seeing that already right now that there's, you know, I mean, there still are roster questions. There still are questions about how everything is going to work out. And and to your point, like it, it might be a good idea as a tech fan to kind of get used for or to get used to the idea that this season might be a rough season. Now, the question always is, how rough is it going to be? And you know, you can you can brace yourself for it, but being a Kansas fan who's gone through horrible season after horrible season, you know, you keep telling yourself you're gonna be okay with it, and then it happens and you're not okay with it. So how I mean, how are you preparing for potentially what could be a painful season? Um, so I've been drinking quite a bit this summer. Um and you know, I shout out to red wine, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but no, it's it's. I think I, honestly, it's one. I'm kind of used to losing. Like that's not losing is not going to be a, a problem to watch a team lose a lot of games. Like shout out to Cliff Kingsbury. He got me very used to the this the feeling. So I'm not too worried about us losing very many losing a lot of games in 2022. The benefit of this season is I personally have very low expectations for the team. Right. I, you will not see disappointment from me because I don't expect much. I think other tech fans are expecting a little too much from McGuire and the staff in year one. Right. This is also not a great roster. It's a young roster. It's a very young roster, which is a good thing for the future. But like for now, it's just not a very it's not I, I'll compare 2022 to 2021 last year when I was on this podcast. I told you I thought it was a really good roster. I thought I, th- I thought this yeah. was a team. Remember, I was I, I think the prediction I had last year was the team should be at least seven and five, and even seven and five, this team is too good to just go seven and five. I felt very heavily of that. One of the reasons I felt very heavily about that because it was nothing but veterans, it was nothing but seniors. All those guys left. All of those guys left. So now that the flip side of having a team that's veteran laden is they're all gone, right? Like not very few people came back from last year's team that were were contributing that we're contributing as much as they were. Right. Um, and so it's, this is going to be a, a different team and, and the difference between, you know, McGuire and Wells and McGuell's or Wells, McGuell's Wells backfilled a lot of those talent with transfers with instant impact players. With if we are losing a guy, we're going to get a guy that can play right away. McGuire is playing a long game, which is nothing wrong with that. You get a lot of, no, really not. Yeah. There. I mean, um, a lot of these freshmen, similar to when Les Miles came to, Kansas, a lot of those freshmen are going to get instant playing time. They're going to be great for 2024, just not great for 2022. Yeah, and you actually kind of jumped to where the to like the comparison I was going to make. This reminds me a lot of when Les Miles, you know, started because there was a lot of you know, I guess talented veterans that you thought were going to be able to do a decent amount, but not nearly as many as you would hope for. So like if Les Miles was going to have be successful in his first season, it was going to be because of the guys that were there that maybe were a little bit underutilized. But the entire point was you needed to bring in a guy like Les Miles to energize for additional recruiting, bring in a lot of young talent. And then he's got to be able to coach him up. Now he did a pretty good job actually of bringing in a lot of young talent. He just was horrible at coaching them up for the Jayhawks. And so they had to move on. And of course they moved on for other reasons, but I think that Les Miles was probably getting pretty close to, um, you know, having a lot of people very upset with him with the way that the team was playing and the way that everything was coming across there. So it it sounds, it seems to me like it's a similar sort of thing where you're at that same point, right? Obviously I think that the results are going to be different because I do think that Joey McGuire has won the right attitude is able to bring in the right, the right kind of roster um, and I don't think that you know he has the same limitations that Les Miles did in terms of the old school way of thinking and wanting and being super set in his ways of how he's going to do things so like it, it feels to me like this is going to be a better opportunity and a better a better chance for that formula to go right so I am interested to kind of see how that you know how that develops where they get there but it does sound to me like a very similar situation to what most Kansas fans were, could recognize from just a few years back. Yeah, I mean, I think the the one thing that is you're, – you're, you're hitting the nail on the head as far as Les Miles being a little bit more, more rigid and McGuire being very flexible in what he wants to do. That seems to be his thing of who do we have on roster? What can we do with these guys? All right, let's switch up our offense. Let's switch up our defense and cater to the players that we have. He was talking the other day about the interview with him and Zach Kittley, and, the, and he asked them, like, okay, well, you didn't run the ball last year. Like, what, you didn't run the ball at Western Kentucky. You know, what does that mean here? And Zach Kelly straight up was like, well, we got running backs at Texas Tech. The running backs in, in running at, at Texas, we, we got guys that can actually run the ball. We'd run the ball more. And so that, that's good to hear. 
This right. is all good to hear. This is all good stuff to hear. Right. No, like I don't know how good of a coach Joe McGuire. Like that's another thing is that everybody will tell you that oh well he was a great coach at Cedar at Cedar Hill. He was a, he was a state champ, state championship winning coach at a school that wasn't used to winning championships, and he's was part of the coaching staff at Baylor and with Matt Rule and, and Dave Rand, and that's all fine and dandy. That's cute and all, but like we don't know. If we don't know what type of like we don't know how much he's going to take from Kitley, we don't know how much he's going to take from Tim DeRuiter, the defensive coordinator. Like we don't know who's making the decisions here. We don't. What happens if Zach Kitley's offense isn't working? Like does McGuire step in? Like we don't know what decisions is he making. We saw Kingsbury and Wells make idiotic decisions for the past eight years now, right? We don't know if McGuire is going to be better at that. Right? Things are different from high school to college, to to Power Five football. So we don't know any of these things, right? So it's all in theory. We're all saying what we think he'll do, what we've said, what he said he'll do. But like, it's easy to say that, oh, Zach Kelly's going to run the ball more. But what happens a year from now is Zach Kelly's still slinging, right? Like, we don't know if, so we don't, I don't know any of these things. I don't think anybody does. We're just going off of hearsay, he say, she say. And, you know, three years ago, I'll tell you what Matt Wells was saying that he'd be able to do. Right, exactly. And, and, and that's really what it comes down to, right? Like, you have, you have thoughts about how it might develop, but we obviously have to kind of see what his track record is. I, I think, yeah. I th- do think there, the, the difference with a guy like Les Miles was you pretty much knew what his limitations were, what he was willing to do, and you could Miles, set your expectations Les, for it, but it still Les wasn't Miles great. Les Miles and Matt Wells, we at least saw their team. Right. We saw Matt Wells' team at Utah State. We had a better inkling of, okay, right. this type of offense he runs. He brought his whole coaching staff over. So we knew the offense and defense a little bit better. But this is actually, in this aspect, similar kind of to Cliff Kingsbury, right? Cliff Kingsbury, we really didn't really know. We didn't know what was held back at A&M. He'd right. only been to OC at A&M for like one year, right? So we didn't know. We were guessing. We didn't know what type of defense they were running. And neither did Cliff Kingsbury for, eight, for six years. So there's that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, we didn't – so there's these things that we didn't know. I will say, though, it's funny – that I I do love that tech administration loves to do the complete opposite when it comes to hiring. Like Mike Leach gets fired. So they go complete opposite situation with Tommy Tuberville. And then he leaves. So they go complete opposite with Cliff Kingsbury. Then he leaves and they want an adult in the room. So they go complete opposite with Matt Wells. Yeah. And now they're like, oh, we don't like this, what you're doing here. So we go, <laughs> so they're just, they're just right, right, right now. It's just like, let's just keep fishing for. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. It's funny. Cause I'm not so sure you're not describing Kansas. Kansas was the exact same way <laughs> from Mark Mangino, you know, ping ponging back and forth. And Leipold was actually the, I think the first coach that was somewhat similar to the guy before him and Les miles. And obviously when you have a coach of that caliber, who is willing to come to your program um, with the history that Kansas has, you don't say no. So, but so talking about like not really knowing what you're going to see, I think there's another spot where we don't really know at this point, or at least, from the outside and that's who's going to be the quarterback like I've heard that Tyler Shuck and Donovan Smith are in a very tight competition um if you had to handicap it who do you think is going to be the guy starting this year so um I've been saying from the very beginning that I'm pretty sure it's gonna be Tyler Shuck um I will say this Baron Morton looked really good in spring he looks he looked really good at the spring practice Enough so to where I've been, I've been not anti Baron Martin, but I've been like, I don't, I don't like to me, I'm like, let I, I don't care what his ratings was in high school, like, let him actually progress as a player before like putting him in. Solomon Spring, I'm like, nah, that guy got him. He, <laughs> he's it. Let's go. Let's give me Baron Martin. But, uh, but no, I, I think Tyler Shuck's got it. He looked good in spring as well. That's what I've been saying for a long time. Recently, from what I've been hearing, Donovan Smith's looking good. I've been hearing some things like Donovan Smith in camp is impressed. He's a bigger mold than both both uh, Shuck and Morton. He's a he's a big guy. He's a bulldozer. Goodness gracious, um, he's at, more athletic, physically bigger. 
Um, so it's it's I think there's an idea that you can do more and have more packages with Donovan Smith. So there's that intrigue to it. Um, there's another thing was he was really good at taking care of the ball last year, the end of the year when he was st- as the starter, right? Um, but some of those quick decisions, especially the Oklahoma State game, plus Oklahoma State game, once they got into the backfield and they were they were making him really question what he was doing, he really struggled. His accuracy was off, and it was a little bit of a stuff. So some of those things between the years, but it is le- – I, I think this might be the, the legitimately the tightest quarterback race in the conference to where I say Tyler Shuck, and I think Tyler Shuck's the starter – but I re- I truly to this day don't know. And it's not one of those things where it's like, like for example, Pat Mahomes was in a quarterback competition with Davis Webb way back when. Like that wasn't real. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who the starter quarterback was going to be, right? And so like the, there's some of that that goes on. But like I truly believe I I don't know if even the coaching staff as they start fall camp really know who's going to be the starting quarterback. Yeah, I, I think I think you might be able to make an argument for like Duggan versus Morris over at TCU because I think that they still have no – like I think everyone assumes it's going to be Duggan. But from what I've been hearing, like it's very possible that he may not be the starter, you know, depending on how well Chandler Morris really kind of shows out in, in fall camp. But um, yeah, this is – This is definitely not a keyword – this is definitely not a Ewers card situation. Oh, gosh, oh. no, right. Which, which oh, no. I think is actually kind of funny because, like, we can we can bash on Texas all we want later. But, um, I mean, I, I have to agree. I do think that Shuck is probably, like, the leader in the clubhouse. He really, you know, he, he got injured last year, but he seemed to be the most consistent guy when he was in there at the beginning. Um, and, and, like, there was a reason he was the starter going into last year. Unless they're doing something completely different that does not mesh with his skill set. It's hard for me to imagine that the senior, you know, Tyler Shuck is not going to go ahead and get the starting job um, because typically when you are a new coach, you want to kind of lean on those upperclassmen to, to kind of help set the tone and, and, you know, use that maturity to kind of show what you can do unless there's a guy that just completely blows everyone else away. Here's so. the fun thing is every time they've talked about the veteran leadership of the quarterback, they've always said Shuck and Smith. So they view Smith as like it's almost as if those Shuck has a lot more starting experience, not just at Tech, at Tech but also in Oregon. They've every time they've talked about it, it's well, Smith also had experience last year. We really like Smith's experience from the games he started last year, and so it's almost it's, I, I put it like they don't. I don't think they put Shuck above because of his experience. They look at both of them and said they both played really well last year. Um, almost excusing the Oregon experience and saying they both played the same amount of games last year. They both played really well last year and they both are coming on that aspect, even for interesting. All right. So let's move on then to the running backs because you talked about, you know, they actually have guys that can run. And I think a lot of people probably know Sir Roderick Thompson, um, but Taj Brook was the leading rusher for you guys last year, but those are like the two names that, have experience there it's a fairly thin running back room it actually looks like because most other teams in the conference have like seven or eight running backs that they theoretically could play and you know at least some minutes you guys only have five running backs on the entire roster so you have some you have two big names at the top but how do you feel about the running back room in total i mean if the guys get hurt then you know we're kind of screwed but at the top at the top are pretty good like so todd brooks like everybody you're right everybody knows Roger thompson he's been here for what seems like forever now um but uh but Taj Brooks that that kid can play he can he can play he's my favorite running back on roster like he he got it he can hit the hole very well he's a guy that it wouldn't shock me if he's playing on Sundays reminds me a lot of DeAndre Washington back in the day like he is a very good running back um also Cam Valdez one of the best high school tapes I've seen from a from a Texas Tech running back commit um and, and so and Cam Valdez is a guy that we didn't see play last year at all uh he he I mean, got the new red shirt, which you can play in a couple games and still red shirt. Uh, so he's a red shirt freshman this year. I actually think he's going to get some touches this year. Uh, but after those three, 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, we're extremely thin. We have true freshman and Bryson Donnell, uh, Blake Bedwell, who it's funny enough. They were talking early in spring camp. They were talking about how Blake Bedwell is actually surprising some people. I still don't expect him to get very many touches, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> you know, but yeah, uh, but, <laughs> but enough to where I, I think it was enough to where it was like, oh man, shifty white guy. Okay, you're a little bit better than we expected. Oh, all right. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> but uh, but no, I think at the top, I, I have no concerns when it comes to Brooks, Thompson, or Valdez. All three of them very good running backs. If something happened to all three of them. Hey, uh, Donnell, I hope you're ready. Hope you're ready, 18 year old. Yeah, whereas big boy football. Whereas you shift over to the wide receiver position, and all of them don't even fit on the page when I'm looking at it online. So, um, it's a loaded in terms of numbers wide receiver room. Which ones are the guys that you're expecting to be the biggest performers this year for the for the Red Raiders? So, wide receivers and running backs complete opposites. To where running backs very top heavy but thin overall. Wide receivers, and this is Texas Tech. We're always going to have wide receivers. There's one position I do not worry about almost ever, including quarterback. It's wide receivers. We are always going to be full of wide receivers. Wide receivers continue to come here because they know they're going to get the ball. Regardless, even during the Tuberville years, wide receivers still got the ball. So, um, uh, but but that being said, our best receivers all left last year. So we are not as top heavy as usual there. So it's and it's actually a good thing for I think for the wide receivers. It gives them a chance to step up. Um, a guy that was a four star receiver that came in a few years ago that should be a starter is Loic Fungi. He's somebody that I kind of expect to have a big year this year. Um, very athletic, that long, tall build, long, uh, long arms will be able to catch a lot of things. Miles Price, I think he was just named as a uh, semifinalist for the Horning Award. He's a speedy, speedy guy fast guy i expect him to get a lot of touches especially a lot of those uh, uh jet sweeps a lot of those jet sweeps that Kitley likes to do at western kentucky i expect a lot of those to go to miles price it wouldn't surprise me if he's our leading receiver um but i think one big difference and one key tech has really struggled both in the kingsbury years and the wells years in the red zone they really struggled in the red zone they haven't been a great team in the red zone we got some big boys now jj sparkman trey cleveland both very big guys. We're still going to continue to use the tight ends. And you have Mason Tharp uh, and Baylor Cup, both big guys. Baylor Cup's an A&M transfer. Um, so we're, I think the red zone's actually somewhere we're going to be a little bit better because we have bigger receivers, right? And I'm not just talking about like Eric Azucano, who was just a physical specimen. I'm talking about guys that are just tall, physical, and can push some DBs around. We haven't, we're not used to having those guys as much. Yeah, I was going to say, when you think Texas Tech wide receiver, you think of the fast, shifty, speedy guy. Um, that can jump really high. Like that's that's what you normally think of. So, all right, that's Miles Price. If yeah, that's why Miles Price is probably going to be the leading receiver. But I do think in the red zone, sometimes you're hampered by that. And I think oh yeah, for sure, the bigger guys like Sparkman, Cleveland, that'll be able to help us on that. Front. Yeah. So, so one other thing that will help in the red zone, and kind of where I always like to go with all of these previews, because we know as Kansas fans how important it is. Offensive line, you guys have a lot of guys in that room as well. How are you feeling about that offensive line this year, though? Because I know that that's been a problem in the past. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, honest answer. <laughs> so last year was another year. Is a year that I came in very high on the offensive line. So I was like, we have um, we have four out of the five t- people are seniors. Again, this was supposed to be a seven eight an eight win team in my opinion because four out of our five offensive line were seniors. Yet our offensive line was one of the cruxes of the team last year. They were not good. So to have fifth year seniors flooding your offensive line and still not be good, not a great thing. So now you're coming to this year. Bad. And you've had to replace, again, four out of the five people on your offensive line of a not very good offensive line. Like an, like an average, a lot of the time, below average offensive line. Um, and so, but I think it's funny. We were talking about McGuire 
doing a lot with high school seniors. This is one aspect where he said, nah, we need transfers. <laughs> I mean, I need to hit the, I need to hit the portal. So of the starters, like I expect Cole Spencer, Cole Spencer, Dennis Wilburn, like I expect those guys to get a lot of a lot of burn, and those are both transfers coming in. Uh, Cade Briggs is another transfer that came in. Monroe Mill, like so, there's gonna be a lot of transfers in, and then luckily, I think the two guys that are gonna be remaining on the team are two guys that got a lot of playing time last year, right? Caleb Rogers was moved all over the line last year, though that that kind of though he was moved all over the line last year, he as the year went on, he got a lot better. And he should be our starting left tackle. And then Weston Wright. He's another guy that's been getting playing time since he was a sophomore. Um, and now it's his now it's his time. Now it's his time to shine. He should be the leader on that offensive line. Um, and so I, it's one of those things where it, they could surprise me. But I, I got to say I don't know because they weren't good last year and they replaced most of them. So um, it could be – if they're good, I will say this is the group that I think could be the difference between a 3-4 win team and potentially making a bowl game. If this group surprises me and does a great job and really protects Shuck and or Smith back there, well, then that, that changes a lot of things for the team overall. Yeah, that, that would make a big difference. Well, so, you know, the one thing that can never surprise you, and that is how fantastic the line is from sponsor here on the podcast, Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel has the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. They have T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, whole bunch more. They have over 125 different college sports or schools available, um, and they're adding more all the time. They're right smack dab in the middle of big new Saturday season four, which saw all of the Big 12 schools come to the lineup now. Yes, that's right. They have everybody, including Kansas, including Texas Tech. I want one of those tortilla toss shirts. I have not gotten it yet. I am planning to at some point, but I already have way too much home field stuff. It is the most comfortable stuff you're going to find. They have fantastic logos from all kinds of schools all over the place. So head on over to homefieldapparel.com. You can use promo code CHALK12, get 15% off that entire first order, and all orders over $100 have free shipping. All right, Albie, I do want to jump over to the defense, but before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. If you love the Big 12, then we have the show for you, the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Forget the SEC, forget the Big Ten, and forget national podcasts that only talk about Oklahoma and Texas. We talk about the Sooners and the Longhorns. We also talk about the Cyclones, the Cowboys, the Wildcats, the Mountaineers, the Jayhawks, the Red Raiders, the Horn Frogs, and the Bears. We love the whole Big 12, and we are available everywhere that podcasts are found. So go and find the 1012 Podcast and subscribe today. And we're back. I'm here with uh, with Albie Shore of the Tortillas and Takes podcast over on Red Raider Sports. That's actually what I was thinking of and why I goofed the, the beginning. So he is helping us, though, preview the Texas Tech Red Raiders this year uh, football team coming in. So I'll be, we already talked about the offense. We kind of already talked about all the expectations. Let's switch over to the defense because you did make a comment, obviously, about Cliff Kingsbury and his infamous defenses that he had at the time. I don't know that it was really that much better under Matt Wells, though. So coming into this year, what kind of expectations do you have for this defense? And how worried are you about McGuire's ability to get the defense turned around pretty quickly? And I just hope everybody has fun, you know, just I hope everybody can really just have a good time <laughs> out there and, and everyone just has fun. Um, I, you know, if the defense gets top 100, cool, cool. You know, that's, that's fun. That's great. No, I mean, in all seriousness, I, uh, so this defense, it's, it's, I, I made a joke the other day. Um, the worst years the defense has is when you come into the season and you're like, our secondary should be the strength of the defense. And you want to know what the strength of the defense should be this year? 
Our the secondary? secondary? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, oh, yeah. No, this is – and those are usually, like – I can remember twice in in um in my life where I was like, man, the secondary should be really good for Tech this year. That's the strength right there is the secondary. Yeah. Both times, I think we're, like, the second worst team in the country. <laughs> the, big, the Big 12 is not a place where secondaries go to be super successful. So if the secondary is the, the highlight of your defense or the strong part of your defense, that means because – that probably means the rest of your defense is not great as opposed to them being just that phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, I, I, so let me start off with the linebackers for a little bit. So the, the issue is, is that last year, and I talked about this already, like we had, we had so many veterans in the linebacking group, like the linebackers were so wildly good last year. We, we had Colin Schooler and we had uh, uh, Rico Jeffers and, you know, and it was just, we, ha- uh, it was just a very veteran laden group, right? Brandon Boyer Randall. Um, and so because of that, and and it's all those guys leaving. Out of all the great linebackers we had last year, we are left with one, and that's Krishan Merriweather. Krishan Merriweather is a beast. He's a man. He, he's he's a man among boys. He, the man's about forty five years old. I'm pretty sure. Um, and so uh, he and he got bigger. I don't know how he got bigger, but he got bigger. And, how? Which is, which is <laughs> I, I don't I have no idea. It's wild. He got bigger. Um, and so he's still there. So thank God he's still there. Uh, the problem is that everybody else in the linebacking crew is fairly new. Not a lot of people got a lot of burn. Josiah Pierre got some burn at the end of last year, and now he's going to be thrust into that starting role. Um, right, but that's about it. Like So now you have Demetri Moore, who's a one of the Cedar Hill guys that transferred over. Now the, his head coach was the uh, new head coach, and he's supposed to be starting at that kind of that hybrid weak side ba- outside backer slash star slash, you know, that hybrid rover position a little bit. He's supposed to be there, but that's still worrisome. Like, I, I have a lot of concerns when it comes to our linebacking crew. Um, I think we are – I don't think we have – I think we're very thin there. So if Krishan Merriweather goes down, I don't know what the hell to tell you. Like, <laughs> like this is – it's not a good group, right, overall. Um, and when it comes to the D-line, luckily the D-line, I'll say this. We are thin at D-line, but our – Tyree Wilson. Tyree Wilson is a name to remember. He is shooting up draft boards. I saw an article the other day that says that he could be in the running for a top five pick. Like he is just that's crazy. Wild, damn. Yeah, wild. Well, for, first of all, he's. I was talking about Krishan Merriweather being huge. Tyree Wilson looks like like you know how sometimes you you're walking on the street and you see an NFL player and you're like, oh, I don't have to question like what what you do with your life. You are playing. You are probably like uh, you're an NFL player. You're in the league. Oh, hello, Shaq. Like when Shaq in the 90s, like I feel like this is how that was. That's how Ty- Tyree Wilson is in Lubbock. When Tyree Wilson walks around Lubbock, everybody's like, oh my goodness, that person is a future millionaire because he's there's no way he's not going to make the NFL. Uh, um, and Ty- so Tyree Wilson's that guy. He's, he's huge. He's massive. And uh, and I expect he started, again, that's another guy that really started to come into his own at the end of last year. And now everybody knows who you are. And so I expect big things from him. And it helps when you have the law firm of Hutchins and Bradford right there beside you. So both Tony Bradford and Jalen Hutchins should get a lot of playing time in this defense. It's multi-defense. One of the things that have been restricted for them is we've been kind of in a three, four last few years. It's only one of them was playing at a time. I expect a lot of four man fronts this year to where both of them can play. Because if both Hutchins and Bradford is playing, that's terror on the opposing offensive linemen. They're both very good. Um, I, I, on the D line, I think my fear is a weak side, weak side end. Right? If you have Wilson on one side, you know I don't know who's starting on the other side. I don't know if it's Philip Leedy. I don't know if you have a situation where Josiah Pierre comes down and goes in a four man for uh, 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 
in a uh, three-point stance, right? And that that side is a little weak. And you, I think you're going to start seeing a lot of double teams on Tyree. That's what I would do if I was a coach, right? <laughs> double teams. Yeah, Tyree, man. for sure. So, so there's that. But those are that front seven definitely concerns me because you have some stars there, but overall pretty weak. And if any of them get hurt, ah, it leaves me so too concerned. So let me get to the secondary. Secondary is pretty good. I, I'm not gonna lie. They like talent wise, they're there. I mean, Muddy Waters was got hurt early on in the season, got hurt in the Texas game, wasn't there, and he was arguably, in my opinion, our best secondary player last year. So he is so you get your best secondary player back fully healthy, and he is gonna be in the new star position that was made famous by Jalen Petre over in Baylor. Um, that's what Muddy Waters is. And I and I think a good Muddy Waters year again brings up the profile of the defense overall. Um, Reggie Pearson is back, right? Uh, uh, DDT, DeAdrian Demerson Taylor, who, or DeAdrian De- Taylor Demerson, who was killing it last year, like out of nowhere, came out of nowhere to be our star corner. Um, he's back. And he's a guy that I think could be really good. Uh, Rayshad Williams had a really good camp. So, like, on paper, the secondary should be pretty good. But, like, that never feels good to say that the secondary is the strength of a Texas Tech defense. It hasn't been good in history. It hasn't. So in my head, I'm like, no, this secondary should be good. Agent Fry's been here for 33 years. They're you know, like, like they should be good. But like, I, I that doesn't make sense to me. I can't compute it correctly that the secondary would be the strength of the defense. Like it doesn't. Like I look at the defense, the secondary, and I'm saying there's no holes. That doesn't seem right. Well, and it's one of those things too, where like everywhere else, right? Like every other team in the Big Twelve, like their question on defense is that secondary: can they hold up to all of the stuff that's going to be happening and everything that people are going to throw their way? Um, I don't think that any Big Twelve secondary is going to look fantastic at the end of the year. Like even you know Baylor and Oklahoma State secondaries weren't fantastic. It was more that they had dominant defensive lines that didn't give the opponent a chance to throw into the secondary very much. Yeah, so. And, and, and that's another yeah. thing. That's another thing too is that if you tell me to choose between having a great secondary and a great front line, I'm I'm picking front line every time. Like a great front line can help out a weak secondary. It's a lot harder for a weak front line to help out a good secondary. Like that secondary can only hold receivers for so long. Well, not only that, but you know, a four or five yard pass do that every play, and it you know secondary doesn't matter. Like <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So like it's so it's it's one of those things where I, the secondary is should be pretty good, right? But that also could mean nothing in the grand scheme of things if you're if your front seven's letting up a lot of things and linebacking core is absolutely going to be a weakness this year. Um, so it's 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 a little tough to to gauge just how good the defense will be. But I will say this: I, I do think there's a lot of potential in that D line. The D line could be pretty good, and the better the D line is, the more that I help out the linebackers, and the better the front seven is as a whole. I already said the secondary should be pretty good, so um, that's good. But again. The secondary not only is the best part of the defense, I would argue they are most skilled and deepest part of the team. And that is scary, very scary to say that the strength of a Texas Tech roster in both both the, the height and full depth is your secondary. That usually means the roster is not that great. Yeah, that's not a comforting thing to think about. So yeah, not comforting. No. All right. Well, before we move on to the schedule and kind of look through the year that you're expecting for the Red Raiders, uh, anything on special teams? I know, obviously, I think one of the highlights of last year was that 62-yard kick, and I know all the Iowa State fans that ever listen to anything I do are going to yell at me on Twitter for this, but uh, that was a that was a glorious kick for, for Texas Tech. Um, but what does the special teams look like? So special teams should actually be a strength. Austin McNamara is another person who's been here for 55 years. And um, he's back. He's back again. I think he was 
if I'm not mistaken, he he was a uh, um, uh, he should be in like uh, I think he's on a Ray guy watch list. Like he's he's been around for a very long time. So you have Austin McNamara. There's also Trey Wolf, who some of y'all may be thinking Trey Wolf. I've heard of that name before. Was well, because he was our kicker before Jonathan Garibay came. Jonathan Garibay came, took a spot, and now Garibay's gone. And so Trey Wolf's back. <laughs> he's still there. Oh boy. <laughs> so he's so he's back to being our starting kicker. I mean the the. The, I will say that I, I'm not too concerned with special teams as of right now. I, I think we should be pretty fine there. Chadaris Townsend still here. Adrian Fry is still here. So a lot of the people that we had doing kicks and punts previously are back. Um, so there's not a lot of inexperience. That's just a lot of times the things that you're most worrisome or most worried about when it comes to your punt and kick returners and kickers and punters and everybody being new. Um, but everybody's still here. And all I ask is that if Adrian Fry is, ba- Adrian Fry is back returning punts, dude, just catch it. All right. Hold on to them, yeah. please. Fair catching. That's all. <laughs> Adrian Fry sometimes just want to do too much, but we ain't asked for all that. Just fair catch the ball. All right. Nobody asks, nobody asks for, like, Paul Trump touchdowns are sexy and all, but really we just ask you to catch the ball. That's really it. Like, it's, you ain't got to return it. But no, it's fine. We're good. <laughs> catch it. And if the ball goes, and if you're, if you see the 10 yard line, just run away. That's all. Those, those are the two things we ask. Right. 10 yards or less, run. If not, fair catch. And we'll be fine. You don't have to score a touchdown. We're good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. So looking ahead to the schedule, like looking through it, um, what jumps out to you as kind of the whether it's the most difficult stretch or it's the weirdest stretch or like, is there something that jumped out to you from this schedule? Yes. Let me tell you something. Uh, you know, what's funny. I feel like eight years ago, whenever they made this non-con schedule, they were like, oh, NC State in Houston. Yeah, sure. Pump that to the future, to 2022. Oh, those would be easy dubs, am I right? And then now, it's like, oh, my God. NC State in Houston. This is Whoops. <laughs> yeah, so so we have the pleasure of likely playing the best team in the ACC in non-con and likely playing the best group of five team in non-con on back-to-back weeks. So, th- and that's before we even get to conference play. So I've already said that I, I'm, I'm skeptical on how good the team will be. And on a normal year, like last year, for example, right last year, I would have even said last year that this team should be three and going into conference play. And it would have been great to build the confidence of the team and get three nice, easy wins going into conference play. I, we can't rely on that this year. This year, if we're two and one going to conference, I will be ecstatic. I will be absolutely ecstatic losing only one non-con game. Um, so that, I mean, and that, that initial stretch is, is just absolutely brutal in general. Um, I, I brought this up on our podcast, but, but, uh, Parker from Stats of War, he came up, he's been doing a series on Twitter recently where he says he kind of lists a team's first six games and says, what do people think the first six games should be? Well, like record will be. And man, I looked at ours and I'm like, bruh. Two and four is likely. Yeah, like one <laughs> two and five, and two and four, depending on how good you get in got, that. Yeah, we got Murray State, Houston, NC State, Texas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State to start the season. Well, That's not only that, but the Kansas State and Oklahoma State games are back to back on the road. You okay. have. Yeah. Yeah. You've got Texas to open up the year, which Tech always seems to play Texas close when it's that early, but. I think the last time that they played uh, opening week of, or of the Big 12 slate, it was what, like 55 to 52 or something? Yeah, it was ridiculously. Well, I wasn't going to talk about how the game ended. I was just going to talk about the fact that it's a huge high-scoring game. They like to play those with everybody. They played one with Kansas at home. 
<laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. They played the last two two games at home against the Jayhawks was a high scoring shootout that went to overtime or almost yeah, went to I mean, overtime. I will say during that stretch, we do get Houston at home. We do, do get Texas at home. And so those are going to be two games that are going to have packed out crowds and and um, games where if Tech can win those will be fantastic, uh, especially that that games against yours should be a fun one. Right. Like that'll be um, I don't know how much Tech fans necessarily hate yours. I don't think I don't think Tech fans really hate yours, you know, but it's it's you. You hate Texas and te- yours is a Texas quarterback. Right? I just don't think there's any extra animosity because of because of the whole he almost he, he was looking at Tech thing. Um, but it's, it's Texas at home. So the, the crowd is going to be great. But that, that whole first six game stretch is, is pretty brutal. I'm actually not as high on the Cougs as a lot of other people are. Um, mostly because I, it's less that I'm not high on them and more that I really don't know about them. Like, I think it's, it's easy to say, well, the team got a lot better as the year went on last year. But I also say, is it that or is, was they considering who they played? Really bad. <laughs> yeah. Like the AAC was, was, cause I, I, already the AAC is a, full of the Tulsa's and the two lanes, but like the conference as a whole was worse than usual. Like it was a very yeah, it was bad. bad conference. Like they had three good teams so, last year and that was it. Yeah. And, and, and so that was UCF was down. Like there was, everybody was bad in that conference. So it's like, and the only teams they played, they lost the tech. They lost it in the regular season. Tech was the second best team. They, they played Cincinnati was the best. And that was, and they lost both of those games. Now, they did beat Auburn in the bowl game, so you can take that that for what it's worth. But um, so it's a no, no, no. Re- remember, the SEC doesn't care about bowl games unless it's oh, a right. in, unless it's right. a college football playoff. So that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but no, I, I'm I'm hoping you guys can soften Houston up for the Jayhawks because the Jayhawks play them the next week. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you guys can soften them up, whether you win or not. I don't really care, but soften them up, and then we can you know go in and upset them on the I road. Think- I think home against Houston, especially since it's home, we haven't lost to Houston in a while. Last time we lost to Houston was because Leach made a boneheaded call, uh, decision in 2009. Um, so we don't usually lose to them. It's at home, and I really don't know if Clinton Toon is any better or the team is any better. So I, I think we'll win that game. But then you still have at NC State, that's an L. I'm sorry. I don't see that happening. Um, home against Texas, that should be an L. Should be. Um, we'll see how good Texas really is. Yeah. Case State, that's an L. At Oklahoma State, that's an L. Right? Like it's it's, it's a, and, and I'm looking at the schedule. I'm like, there's games where I'm like, that's an L. Like that's I don't. I'm not going to debate it. I'm not going to question it. It's an L. We're not beating K State in Manhattan. We're not beating Oklahoma State in Stillwater. Those are L's. And so you hope hell West Virginia. We don't know about West Virginia. We don't know how good they're going to be. So you hope that's a chance. That's an opportunity there. But you don't know. Baylor is at home. That's great. But that's the best team in the conference, if you ask me. So it's like yeah, it's going to be rough. Really, I don't like the schedule. I'm not a fan. Yeah, the the home and aways don't really help you guys out, right? Because if te- no, if if Texas is going to be as good as people seem to think that they're going to be, well, that one's at home. So yeah, it's nice to have that shot, but you'd almost want that one to be away and get a game that's likely yeah, going to be closer at home. You we, get West Virginia at home, that's home. great. You get Kansas at home. Here's the thing, but we got home at Oklahoma in the last game of the season. So you mean to tell me we got Oklahoma when they're probably going to be at their best because they've had a full year under Brent Venables now? Either that or, or when they're going to be super pissed off because they didn't play yeah. it or they don't have as good of a record as they expected. That's that's no fun. We're not going to win that game either. Luckily, we have back to back home game games against TCU and, and Kansas. Or no, no, TCU wait. The game is at TCU, isn't it, or is it neutral? It's a home game in Fort Worth. <laughs> oh, 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 oh! I missed the joke. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Man. Oh man. I, I definitely. I'm, I'm so glad you asked that. Question. Everybody, right, everybody's going after Melissa and the frogs on the podcast for some reason. <laughs> oh, 
no, I love Melissa. Melissa, <laughs> Jamie, Parker, great Colin, great people over there. Unfortunately, like, they root only, for TCU. <laughs> unfortunately, they just root for the wrong team. That's it. That's all it is. And those are also like 40% of their fan base. So like it's, you know, there's, there's that too. <laughs> so, oh man. I gave them six more people than most people would. <laughs> oh gosh. But yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I guess really looking at it, the last thing to talk about here would be that Kansas game. It's towards the end of the season, you know, last, well, it's, it's the third to last game. It is at home, but you know, by that point in the season, you know, these teams are going to be what they're going to be. We saw a huge improvement from Kansas last year at the end of the year. Um, can't really say the same for Texas Tech, although they did seem to play fairly well down the stretch in, in the bowl game and everything. So, um, like, what are your expectations for that game? With it being at the end of the season, like, I almost could make the argument that anything could happen if I really wanted to. Yeah, I mean, it's you, you hope, new coach, um, new staff, you hope that the team gets better as the year goes on. So I do think that for Houston, right, you're, you're, you're glad you're playing tech so early because you get a really shot to like really punch us in the mouth with a new staff and give us problems before we wanted to. But by the time we do get to, to, to the ninth game of the, was that the 10th game of the season, um, we hope to know a little bit more about ourselves. Now in the Cliff Kingsbury area, by the 10th game of the season, we had already, the team had already mailed it in and we usually would lose games here. Uh, you're hoping that that doesn't necessarily happen happen here with McGuire. I think there's a lot of, again, this is long-term success, what you're looking for. The game is at home against Kansas. So I think even though I do believe in Leipold and what he's doing over at Kansas, and I do think this is a team that will surprise one or two games. If this was in Lawrence, I actually would be a little bit worried about this game. This was in Lawrence, I would legitimately say, hey, Tech, got to watch out. I think it'll be, it isn't going to be as easy as some other games have been against Kansas. Because it's in Lubbock, I don't expect, I don't expect it to be too much of a problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is going to be a close game regardless because I think either both of these teams are going to be, eh, you know, kind of, you can see some promise, or both these teams are actually going to surprise a lot of people and play really well. Like, I, I I don't see an instance where one of them is going to fall completely flat on their face and the other one, you know, is not because there's just a lot going on in this conference. And while it's definitely possible, like, that one of them could be really good and one of them could be really bad, Kansas is improving. They have some really good pieces. Texas Tech has a lot of good pieces and an unknown coach. Um, you know, just kind of the nature of hiring a guy like that. So, you know, it could go really well. Joey McGuire could surprise everybody and could, you know, start putting a competitive team out really fast. And if he does, well, then this is going to be an absolutely fantastic game that we're going to see towards the end of the year with both fan bases coming out of it feeling good about what's going to happen in the future. But, um, you know, I, I, I think... The problem is I can see pretty much anything happening in this one. I, I just have to think it's going to be a close game because I feel like Kansas is going to have stuff figured out and be competitive like they were in the last three games last year. And Texas Tech, that gives them plenty of time to also get it figured out and figure out what they want to do. And and I think, like, if this was a game that was at the beginning of the of the, the season schedule, you know, so if, if it was in that first or second week of Big 12 play, then I think I would have to favor Kansas in that game just because uh, I think... Was, I'd be a lot more... I'd be a lot more... Yeah, because because I think Kansas is, is further along in knowing what they're going to be right now than Texas Tech is. So the more time you give Texas Tech to figure that out, the harder it's going to be for the Jayhawks to really press that advantage. It will be interesting, though, to see how both of these teams develop throughout the year. So I'm not going to go super crazy and, you know, guarantee a win or guarantee a loss or anything like that in this game because there's a heck of a lot that ha that's going to have to happen between these two, uh, you know, teams before that game even gets close. I will say I do have – I haven't made my season prediction yet, but I do have – uh, tech going on two two game winning streaks. 
um, one early in the year against Murray State in Houston, and the other one does involve Tech beating Kansas. Um, and remember what I said was right before Kansas. So yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, so so right. I was going to add because that's usually the final question I have here. Like, what are your expectations for the season here? Whether that's a record or you know a feeling of the program or what? I just want honestly. <laughs> this sounds so like lame and vanilla and and boring. I just want improvement. I, I just that's all I want is as the season goes on, I want some continuity, some improvement. We are like I don't have a problem if when we play Baylor, they just look like the better team because they are the better team. They're gonna be the better team. I don't care if if it's a situation where it's like okay, Baylor players are just flat out better. I don't care when we play Oklahoma State or Kansas State. It's the same thing. Oklahoma, it's the same. They don't care when we play Texas. If it's obvious that these guys are bigger, faster, stronger, better than Texas Tech, I, that that won't bother me. I think what will bother me is when we play TCU or West Virginia or Kansas or even Iowa State and where the skill level is going to be fairly even, but they look like there's more coordination on the other side, right? Or where there's they, they, the, the players on the other side just understand things a little bit better. Like if we get actually, I say Iowa State, that's what happens every time we play them, right? Up until maybe last year, I've never felt Iowa State players are just that much better. And they would beat the crap out of Tech. They beat us, but they beat a Pat Mahomes team by 50. And they didn't look better. They just they they just had a better better system, better staff. Everything the players knew what they were doing. It was just it was easily one coach was coaching circles around the other staff, and that's what I don't want to see happen anymore. Um, but I, and I think and one thing we we're talking about as far as with the transfer and like that, I think one thing that I think is different is I truly believe in McGuire's coaching staff hires. All of his staffing hires made sense. They were all guys that. Like how were, were credible. There were all guys that other schools wanted, other people also wanted, and they all just made sense. All of them were like, "Okay, I see why you did this," and I didn't have to question it. It wasn't Matt Wells just saying, "All right, guys, my whole coaching staff's going with me." It wasn't Cliff Kingsbury saying, "I'm just picking out my best friends that all went to Tech." It was everything was a planned out. And he, if you ever hear him talk about his staff. He knows what they ate that morning. He knows what they ate six months ago. He knows everything about them in their lives to where it's like you've meticulously thought about that. And that's what makes me believe in everything. McGuire doesn't really seem like a guy that's really going to be doing the the on-field coaching, the, hey, you got to shift your hips this way. But it seems like he's done a really good job of hiring the guys that he believes will be able to do that on-field coaching. And so that's what I trust more than anything. Yeah, it seems like he's latched on really quickly to that CEO mentality where you you find the right people in the spot and let them do their work. And that's and that's worked. It's worked a lot of times. Right? Oh, yeah. It's worked very many times. I think that's um, – and I would actually argue that's one of the reasons why it hasn't worked at Texas because they haven't had a CEO since Mac Brown, right? Like, so it, and, and that style has worked. Now, I get it. At Tech, it hasn't worked since um, Spike Dykes, right? Mike Leach wasn't that. Uh, Tommy Tuberville kind of was that, but also hated Lubbock and hated West Texas, so that doesn't really work. Um, Cliff Kingsbury wasn't that. Matt Wells wasn't that, right? And so, but McGuire is trying to be that. He is trying to be that CEO type coach. And I do think, I mean, you see it everywhere. You, you see, we've seen it work all over the place. And hell, Nick Saban's that, right? I've already mentioned Matt Brown being that successfully in multiple places. So, um, I, I do think that's a good way to go about it. Um, but we'll see if it. We'll see how quickly that translates. I don't really think it's going to translate in year one. I would even argue probably doesn't translate in year two. But I think the idea is is that it's, they, it's the idea of he gets something that Matt Wells never got, which is you don't have to win right now. <laughs> we'll give you time. 
We'll give you we'll give you time and effort. Well, I mean, and it's, all, it's all building for 2024. Matt Wells did have some time. I just think part of the problem was that he he wasn't using that time very wisely. They couldn't see the kind of improvement that they were wanting to see on the on the horizon. So, uh, but yes, I mean, Andy? yeah, that lost to Can- that lost to Kansas in 2019. That's what accelerated the clock. I mean, everybody was fine with what Matt Wells was doing in year one. Until that loss of Kansas, man, Kansas is just getting Kansas? Kansas is just getting coaches. Fi- you know what? I will know that Kansas has improved. Okay, no, no, I will know that Kansas is back to where they need to be when people stop blaming their coaching firings on the Jayhawks. So, let me tell you something. Everybody was because he beat Oklahoma State that year. Everybody was okay. We weren't making a ball game. We were fine. It was like you know what? It's year one. Not well. It's fine. We trust in what he's doing. Then he lost to Kansas, and all of a sudden that trust. Like, nah, man, get this guy up out of here. <laughs> well, it was not only that, but it was also because the time was it the time before that they won like 16, 13 or something like that. Like it was a super ugly game mm-hmm. that like nobody really liked at all against against the Jayhawks. And it, it gave Kansas hope, right, that they were able to play that close to Texas Tech. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, yeah, it was it was just it was bad. A, so. Yeah, you're, you're right. Lou, right? It's, it's still to this day losing to Kansas is not something that you can. It's, I mean, it's been a joke all offseason. No, but right? but that's why I said. That's why I said. You know, someone asked the next time that Kansas, like, who's the next uh, the next team that's going to lose to Kansas uh, at home? You know, and I said, uh, you know, look, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but but Neil Brown shouldn't be fired for it. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is this is one of those years though where I think that. I think that Kansas is going to be improved enough that unless you've got a bunch of other problems, losing to Kansas is not going to be an issue of a coach trying to keep his job, except for maybe but Neil Brown. So, it will, oh no, Neil Brown loses to Kansas, getting fired, but uh, potentially, but be, I don't know. Depends on what he does after that, because it's early enough in the season that you can use the excuse, right? Of well, we're still trying to get everything put together and all of this stuff. Yeah, like if, you lose, if he loses the Kansas, he loses the Kansas and goes. If you lose the Kansas and goes, get some fired. I would say, but seven and seven and five would be the would be the line. Lose the Kansas and go because I think six and six gets him fired. Seven and five is what he needs. Similar to Matt Wells last year, he needed seven and five to yeah. do this job. Matt, Matt Wells, I believe, and I think Neil Brown same thing. But if he goes seven and five and loses to Kansas, does he get fired? I I, I kind of think he. I don't know. We'll have to find out, I guess, because you know when he goes <laughs> seven and five and loses the Kansas, I guess we'll find out. So no, I'll be. Thank you so much for joining me. Where can everybody find your work online? Yes, uh, make sure to listen to the podcast, Tortillas and Takes, uh, on Spotify, on an Apple Podcast, everywhere you listen to your podcast, we are on there. Um, also, you can find us at Tortillas underscore RRS. We are the official podcast of Red Raider Sports. Um, and you can find me at Mr. underscore I'll be sure. Uh, and then you can, you can find, you can find me sometimes talking on the 1012 podcast. You know, we're part of the network. Of course. We're, we're gang. We're, we're, we're part of the gang here. You know, so, um, or, you know, once or twice a year on Rock Chalk, uh, Rock Chalk podcast. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll be, thank you so much we for have, joining we me. We have much more contentious conversation. Like, this is friendly until basketball season. Right, right, right. Basketball season is where it kind of gets a little bit ugly at times. <laughs> yeah. But, um, oh, and it's going to get hella ugly this year. Oh, gosh. With effing Kevin McCullough over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wasn't going to bring that up because I didn't want to leave you in a bad mood, but you brought it up. So I guess we'll just save that, though, so you can stew on that until we get to the basketball season. So, all right. I'll be, uh, thank you so much for joining me. Like he said, um, we are part of the 1012 podcast network. Uh, it is absolutely fantastic working with all the people over there. But uh, if you have not already, please make sure that you head on out 
and find us wherever you get your podcasts, whereas Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe, get every episode as soon as it comes out. Give us a rating and a review. Five stars, nice comments would be absolutely fantastic. If not, let us know what we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want us to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. Um, make sure you visit the sponsor. Homefield Apparel, promo code CHOCK12 gets you 50% off that entire first order. And, of course, make sure you check out all the other podcasts we have on the 1012 Podcast Network. You can do that by going to 1012network.com or following them on Twitter at TEN12Network. It's a great group of guys and gals that we have over there covering all the teams in the Big 12. But, Albie, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Welcome to Between Two Bears, the newest 1012 Network podcast. Uh, this is Matt is Bear. I'm going to introduce my co-host, Evan A. Bear, uh, to give you a quick idea of what the show is about. Yeah, Between Two Bears is going to be a it's going to be a great sorry Between Two Bears is going to be a great look at the silly and sometimes stupid. Between Two Bears is going to be a great look at the silly and sometimes stupid side of Baylor sports. Hey, I'm gonna try one more time. Between two. Bears. Okay, uh, Evan. Evan's gonna go take a nap. Um, but we are excited to join the 1012 Network along with the rest of their already great lineup of Big 12 podcasts. Check them out at 1012 Network on Twitter and us as well at Matt is Bear and at Evan A Bear. Uh, Sickum Bears. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.